Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to bring God's Word to you this fine day. The New Testament passage for today is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And the Old Testament passage and also the passage for exegete will be Psalm 7 in its entirety. Please give ear to the reading of God's Holy Word. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let us go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you now as your hungry and thirsty children. We ask that you illumine your word to your saints, and you enable us to worship in spirit and truth as you have commanded us to do. In the name of Jesus Christ, be with us now. Amen. Again, the passage for exegete this morning is Psalm 7 in its entirety. Uh, Before we get into Psalm 7, though, I just want to kind of bring us all up to speed. I've been preaching through the Psalms through our congregation for a while now and moving along through them for the next year and a half. Uh, But in order, I think, for a well-balanced Christian to function productively in a society that has fallen. I really think that we need a good resource like the Psalms to go to in our specific times of need. And so Psalms, you've heard it uh, said numerous times, read a Psalm and a proverb a day, right? Many people have have heard that said. I would say, I'm not going to assault that. What I would say is, let's, let's shape it a little better here. I would say that it's wise for you to read a psalm or psalms that week that are particular with what it is you're exactly going through. Maybe it's a particular struggle that you have, like today's psalm, for example. Or maybe you're just in a season where nothing's going wrong, and there's 10 to 30 different psalms you want to choose where you're just praising God that it's a season of calm. Those days are good, too. In fact, I say this to our congregation often, when, when we find ourselves ill, for example, get this nasty flu every year that goes around, and we're at home and we're praying, oh God, take this from me, I feel horrible. I often ask them, how about the other 360 days a year that he did take it from you? Are you praising God at that moment? Every day waking up saying, thank you, I don't have the flu. Probably not. But I think it would be good for us to do just that, to praise God. And so many of the psalms, being songs, hymns of praise and lament, uh, can, be, can be accessed during all these different times of our life. And so as we dive into the beginning portion here of the psalms, I think it's, it's, it's right and true for us to look at three facts before we get into Psalm 7. One is that the psalms were not written in this order. The Psalms were put together in this order at a later time. And so if that's true, then one should look at it and say it must be arranged 
in a particular purpose, right? I think that's good to look at. Uh, second, I want us to also remind ourselves of what does church look like for us each and every Lord's Day. So let me build the scene for you. If you recall in the Old Testament at the, oh, I was told not to walk from the pulpit. Sorry, I get to rooming around. I may be out there. Who knows? So if you look in the Old Testament and in the book of Exodus in particular when the Ten Commandments are given, what you have is you have God's people are drawn to the base of the mountain by God. And you have uh, God's um, uh, chosen one, if you will, that ascends on high on our behalf. And then you have God coming in a cloud with all of the heavenly host at the top of the mountain. And there is this beautiful scene wherein God has called all of his children together, those in heaven and those on earth. Friends, it is no different when we respond to the call each and every Lord's Day. You are the people that have come to the base of the mountain. Christ has ascended on high for us. And all of the heavenly host rejoice when you say amen. Amen? That's a beautiful scene, isn't it? That's powerful. And if it's that powerful, I would think that this is important then, right? And that there's some kind of benefit to be found sitting next to the person you're sitting next to now. I'll get into that more as we get into today's text. But the third thing I need us to understand is that the Psalms in this beginning part are arranged in such a way that I think one could miss it if you, if you read too quick. And one of the ways that it is assimilated here, laid out for us, is it shows Psalm 1 and 2 as being law and gospel, as being the starting point of all of the Psalms, that we access the law and the gospel as we read the following pages. That's important to know. He then builds on David's growth, right? David begins... uh, uh, lamenting about so many different things. And in fact, in, in Psalm 5, uh, here's the $25 word of the day, uh, there's something known as the imprecatory prayer. Have we heard of that? Oh, this is delightful. An imprecatory prayer means to pray for the death of your enemies. <laughs> so, uh, and the question when we went through Psalm 5 uh, a few weeks back uh, was, can a Christian engage in an imprecatory prayer? I thought we were to pray and and love our enemies, right? So the answer is, yes, you can engage in it, but you ought not to. There's a better way, right? And the better way was put forth by Christ, that we pray for our enemies, that we love them. For we were once enemies of God, were we not? And God loved us. In fact, I'll go a step further. We, at one point in time, could have been the recipients of a believer's imprecatory prayer. That wouldn't have gone over well, right? Because you'd be dead. So we're glad that God didn't answer that imprecatory prayer and that he gave a better way. And somebody prayed for us and somebody loved us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and that believer loved us when we did not deserve it. Now I say all of this because we're getting into chapter 7 here. And in chapter 7, you still see David struggling with some things. And there's some serious stuff going on here. But you see some growth. And I really truly believe that the the group that ordered the Psalms wanted us to see that. Wanted us to see this growth from an imprecatory prayer in chapter 5 
to speaking a little gentler in chapter 7, though he's still upset and wanting God to rise to the occasion and defend him, not only rescue him, but defend him uh, vigorously. But he also throws some things in chapter 7 that identify his knowledge of how God does indeed defend us. In fact, if you circle things in your Bible, like I do, and I often can't even read the pages anymore, but in verse 7 of chapter 7, you see a very important verse here. Very important verse. It says, Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. Again, this is a picture of what? Exodus and every day when we come to church. He's saying that in the middle of his psalm of lament here, in the middle of his plea to God for help, he's recognizing one of the ways God has given help to us is this room, is the people around you. He's recognizing that, and he's asking God to go even further, not only to use and utilize the people in the congregation of the Lord, but he's asking God to go a step further, which we'll get into in just a moment. So let us look at chapter 7, Psalm 7 here. This psalm, the backdrop of it, is in response to some Benjaminite, we don't know who it is and we don't know the exact uh, situation, but what we do know is that David was being slandered. He was being greatly slandered. He was being slandered so much that it was affecting his walk with God. He was struggling. So it must have been something great. And one, one could imagine one of the things that, that David laments throughout the Psalms, so it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to imagine this. One could imagine that there was some kind of scuffle with one of the neighbors, and he was being accused of receiving ill-gotten gains. Uh, being unjustly enriched in some way, plundering his neighbor and taking those riches for himself. Because as he goes through this psalm, it, it kind of has that flavor that that seems to be the slanderous act against him. And this, this is horrifying to a man of character. This is horrifying to him in that he has to present himself before the people as, as um, in a sense, the head of the people, um, type in a shadow there for those who are keeping track. Um, he, he seems to recognize that if they're slandering him in this way, in a sense, they're slandering God directly because he is one of God's children. So this is part of his cry to God that he wants God to not only defend him, wait for it, but publicly defend him. He's asking for God to come out in the public and defend his name, David's name, and God's name with it. So let's look at the first two verses where we see this cry for safety. Uh, he says, before I begin to petition you for help, God, I'll state why I'm able to petition you in the first place. Because I take refuge in you. He says, O oh Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Boy, he's, he's sounding like a man in anguish, isn't he? 
Now, I can't, I can't scoot on past this here. You've got to recognize that his anguish is not only that he is publicly humiliated, but it's tied directly with God. They're defaming the name of God as well. So that those two things combined are why he is so anguished and why he believes that if this continues on, his soul is going to be torn apart like lions attacking it. Wow. That, that's... I mean, I think we've all been slandered at one time or another. I don't think I've been slandered to that degree where I really felt like my soul was going to be ripped to pieces. I hope I never do. But if I do, where am I going to go in Psalms? Psalm 7, right? And I'm going to go to other Psalms that help me get through that particular circumstance I find myself in. So... He says here in the first two verses, not only they're slandering me, but they're slandering your name, O God. Now he goes into the second section here, wherein before he asks God for what he wants, he puts his best foot forward and he says, let me remind you, God, that I'm innocent in this. That they're not slandering me with cause. There is no cause. I am innocent. Look at uh, verses 3 through 5 here. He says, O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. So we clearly see here that David is claiming that the slander against him is baseless. However, he rightly realizes that this slanderous talk is quite dangerous to his reputation, the reputation of God among the people, and can actually turn into a physical danger. If the people begin to think that he is a corrupt king, uprisings can happen. So he recognizes that he's got to squelch this right from the get-go. But he knows he can't do it himself or it'll just look like him silencing his critics. He calls upon the Lord here in whom he just said he takes refuge and asks him to judge the situation in these next few verses. Look as he goes through 7 through 11. He says, let the assembly of the peoples gather about you. Over it, return on high. Remember what he's saying. Oh, excuse me, verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Then he gets into recognizing that part of his comfort comes through the gathering of the people and the judgment comes as the gathering of the people. He says, let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, then, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation Every day. Wow, there's a lot going on there. Knowing that he has done no wrong, David appeals to God to arise and defend him, to publicly vindicate him of this slanderous talk by this unnamed Benjaminite and I'm sure others. 
It must be gaining speed. It must be gaining power for it has reached the throne and it has made his, made his soul in anguish here. And so he begins by saying, God, I take refuge in you. He follows by saying, I'm innocent of these claims. And then he says, judge it, God. I call for you to come forth and to judge for yourself. Judge my righteousness here. Judge my integrity. Now, he's not saying that he is some perfect, righteous person. He's saying in this situation, oh God, I didn't do it. I just didn't do it. And I'm being slandered as if I had. I'm paying the price, oh Lord, as if I had done it. Now, this individual lament and individual cry for help is echoed by the whole family of God as he has nestled that in there in verse 7 for a, a furthering of what we spoke about that the church plays a role, the gathering of God's people plays the role. Not only does it the gathering of God's people together form this compassionate ring of ears and shoulders for you during your lament, not only does it provide a place of instruction and, in some cases, rebuke if you're falling out of line. But it also provides this third arena, wherein when someone slanders one of you, they slander us all. They slander us all, right? I liken this to when I was growing up. And my daddy said, um, you and your brothers, whenever and wherever you go, it's you guys against the world. Y'all have to have each other's backs. Doesn't matter if your brother was wrong. Ain't nobody going to lay a hand on him except you. Right? And that's how we grew up, understanding, you know, brothers before others type mentality. It is really no different in the house of God. We have each other's backs. Now, sometimes we have to rebuke one another. We have to say, hey, yeah, you were wrong. Stop it. And you have to repent and go and fix whatever it is out there for, yes, it was wrong that the person slandered you, but the slander had merit. And you need to go fix that. Don't focus on the fact that they're talking bad about you. You earned it. But if you have not, their slander comes against the whole house of God, wherein all of you can stand next to that individual and say, we give an account. This person's integrity is above reproach. I wasn't there, but I know the person. And they didn't do it. Boy, that's a strong, strong shield against a world that throws many a fiery dart, is it not? It's comforting to know that too, that the person right next to you will defend you. And his cry here for public vindication comes by that very way. God's not going to rip open the sky and say, hey, David didn't do it, and close it back up. He's going to vindicate David by the gathering of the saints that come together and say, we know who David is, and we know he did not do this. Now look through verses 12 uh, all the way to 16, and what we see here is David, here's his humanity on display for us. He does something that I think all of us have engaged in more often than we care to admit. It's when we go before the Lord and we say, hey, I'm your child. 
I'm innocent of these charges, whatever they are. Um, I'm calling for you, God, to rise up and publicly vindicate me. Now let me tell you how I would like it done. <laughs> That's verses 12 through 16. So he says, if a man does not repent, we're going to come back to verse 12 in just a second. If a man does not repent, God will whet his sword. And he has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, here God, here's what I want you to do. The wicked man conceives evil, is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. Can I just pause there for a second? That is some serious biblical smack talk right there. How come we don't talk to people like that anymore? What if somebody came up to you and just said, you, sir, are pregnant with mischief and your mouth gives birth to lies? I don't think a response would come from that. I think they would be so impressed with what you said that they may just repent. <laughs> Who knows, right? So let's go on to verse 15. He says, he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violent descends. Here, God, here's how I would like you to handle this. I would like all of these snares and, and pits that they've laid out for me uh, cause them to stumble into them. And I want everybody to see it, too. That's how I would like you to handle this, God. Now, I don't think it, it, it really needs to be fleshed out too much here, but we probably ought not engage in telling God how it should go down. Um, but I think we always do. I, 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 maybe I'm alone in this, but when I pray to God, I'm often giving Him suggestions on how it would work out best and least painless in my life to achieve whatever it is I am requesting. Um, I have yet to have him do it the way I've suggested, though, so um, maybe you've had better luck. I don't know. <clears throat> but herein lies what I was speaking about earlier, wherein a shift has begun to happen in David's approach to his enemies. And it's found in verse 12 here. If you circle in your Bible and you've circled seven, circle 12 too, because these are the two, the two key verses here that show the heart and the knowledge that David has as he's growing in his goodness in God. Verse 12, we see nothing less than David calling for his enemies to repent first. And if not, then God's vengeance and justice will come down on them. That was missing, curiously, in Psalm 5. He just said, kill my enemies, please. And that's basically how Psalm 5 lays it out. Here, he's still human. He's still frail. He's still a little raw from whatever this slander is. And he's carefully trying to pray out to God that he's innocent of this. Remind God, of course, he takes refuge in him. He's calling God to come forth, but he's allowing this lifeboat, if you will, to be tossed out to the slanderer, that if he just repents, all of what he's about to ask God to do will go away. Now, I don't think God is acting in response to everything that David is putting forth, nor does he do it with us, but he does respond to our cries for help. 
He's not a reactive God. He's a proactive God. But his proactiveness, if that's a word, somebody in English class is going to correct me afterwards, I'm sure. His proactiveness, right, is that he's allowed for us to cry out to him for him to act. And that's how God has chosen to act in and among his people. And I can assure you, the host of heaven has risen to their feet and applauded at what is seemingly this small move from David saying, kill my enemies to repent first, give them a chance to repent, then kill them, right? But it is a big deal. It shows David is a human just like us. He may be a king over God's people. He may be a type and a shadow of the Christ to come. He may be all of those things. But he's a person. And he deals with real things just like we do. He hurts. He cries. He laughs. He rejoices just like us. And what we see with the Psalms is we grow with David as the Psalms move on. And we see this first moment of growth here wherein he is crying out to God. Don't forget, these are songs. He's crying out to God through song, asking all of the congregation to sing along with him this song that cries to the one who is oppressing him, repent, repent. And if you repent, the next stanza of this song will not befall you. I think that that is a beautiful picture of not only a growing saint who also struggles like us, but is also a beautiful picture of how we ought to grow. I mentioned earlier the imprecatory prayer, could we do it as Christians? The answer is yes, but followed quickly by we ought not to. And the very fact that we don't Pray imprecatory prayers shows our growth in the Lord, shows our hidden hope that we hope they repent and turn from these acts and quit hurting us in this way. Moreover, we beg of God for our enemy to be converted into our brother or our sister. That's the better way. That's the way that Christ has compelled us to act as we move and maneuver throughout this world that hates him and hates you for his sake. As I said in the beginning, I'd like you to become the Christian that doesn't simply read a psalm and a proverb every day, but that one who begins to navigate through the Psalms as a resource and grabs the two or five or ten Psalms that will nourish them, instruct them, rebuke them if necessary, but encourage them and give them the feeling of being nestled in the hand of God in their particular strife, whatever that may be. And on the days when you're not Struggling when somebody's not greatly slandering your name or somebody hasn't attacked your children or somebody hasn't uh, assaulted you in some way. In those days when that's not happening, go to the other plethora of psalms that rejoice in God's steadfastness, in His faithfulness to you to bring you calm amidst the storms that all surround your very days. Oh, friends... 
Engage in the Psalms and the Proverbs daily. But do it fuller. Do it in a way that grows you like David has been grown here. That seemingly may look small to those around you, but are huge in your heart and your soul. And God, who you call to judge you, knows your heart and sees the growth as leaps and bounds. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you are perfect. You are holy. You are faithful. Make us more like you. Draw us to our knees every day. Draw us to our knees where we cry out to you. Not only do we take refuge in you, God, and we are assured by that, by word and sacrament, as well as the embrace, that warm, long embrace between Monday and Saturday where we find ourselves again nestled in your hands. Yes, we take refuge in you. But Father, where we find ourselves in the unfortunate event once in a while, like David did here, where we're being slandered or attacked without cause. Let us grow like David has grown. Let us grow and rise to the occasion wherein we recognize how we are defended in God's house and by His gathering of people. But also let the full gathering of the people cry out with one voice, one song to you, O God that we wish our oppressor, our enemy, not harm, but adoption. Oh, Father, let this be our prayers, because I assure you, we don't want to pray like that. We want the destruction of our enemies, and we want a front row seat with popcorn. Father, beat down our flesh by the power of the Spirit that you have placed in us. Beat down our flesh and let us rise to these occasions, not for our glory, not for our grandeur, but for your glory, O Lord. We know that when they assault us and they assault the entire people, they are assaulting you. Let that be the righteous anger that rises up in us. Let that be the cause by which we cry out to you to defend your name. And in so doing, it would defend ours. But defend your name, O oh God. But first and foremost, defend your name by winning the oppressor over and bringing them into the house of God. O oh Father, we cry out to you this very prayer. We cry out to you further, Father, that you make it a point in our lives as struggling children. That we go to your Bible not simply on every Lord's Day, not simply reading one verse here or one verse there, but that we go to it with purpose. We go to it and we access it as it was intended to access, to act as instruction and comfort for us in all of our daily lives. Oh, Father, there's more than just the Psalms that we could access, but should it be any less, I say nay. Father, strengthen us and encourage us to this endeavor. We all pray in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ, who empowers and makes it so. Amen.